Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR161CV181, John Lofton Views on Talk Shows, From the Easy Chair, Excellent Colloquies on Various Subjects. This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair Number 291, May the 12th, 1993. This evening, Douglas Murray, Otto Scott, Mark Rushduni, and I have with us one of our number, John Lofton. John flew out from the Washington, D.C. area to be in San Francisco for a television uh, appearance, and I'm going to ask him to tell us about the whole uh, trip other appearances of a similar character, and then we'll proceed from that to some other subjects. John, we're glad to have you with us. I thought that was the San Francisco cable car passing through here. (laughs) It's good to be here, particularly after being in San Francisco. (laughs) Well, John, tell us a little bit about uh, Jerry Springer, who he is, and... uh, what the show was about and other appearances you've had mm-hmm. of late. Well, Jerry Springer has a nationally <clears throat> syndicated uh, TV talk show, usually follows Donahue in most uh, cities, and uh, it's a, one of those hour-long uh, talk shows. And uh, wh- what this one was about is a typical uh, slice of San Francisco life, I guess. It was about a uh, lesbian... Uh, safe sex shop and uh, voyeurism and uh, it was awful and uh, my role was to come on the show and be outraged by everything and uh, I was and did. Springer uh, is a former, I believe the former mayor of Cincinnati Mm -hmm. and uh, he was in the news, the national news, when it was revealed that he had once gone to a uh, house of prostitution and uh, used his credit card and actually signed his name and some, I guess the receipt was left in there, and uh, the press somehow got on it, and it was all over the front pages. So uh, people may have heard of Mr. Springer. Yes, I obviously someone reading with, of it. Obviously, someone with a sharp mind like that was destined for his own national talk show. You knew he was going to be big time somewhere. But uh, they were out there for a week taping, and uh, one person in the audience asked me if I was going to stay for the second show that was being taped, and I said I'd didn't think so. I was just, you know, glad to escape alive from the first show. And I asked what it was about, and they said it was a, a polygamist. There was a man coming there with seven wives. That was the next show. So I don't think the shows were getting any <clears throat> any better as they went through the week. It's a freak show. It's like all these national talk shows. They're just freak shows. You've been called to represent the Christian perspective on what other... Uh, well, yes, I've, I've been on the Oprah, sh- the Oprah Winfrey show, and Geraldo, and uh, Donahue, and <clears throat> the Ron Reagan show. You had to look quick to catch that one. And uh, it, all of all of the shows that I have been asked to be on have to do with homosexuals, homosexuals marrying, homosexuals adopting children. And one of the interesting things that happens on, on almost all the shows is that the segment producer will tell me the list of names of prominent Christian uh, leaders, so-called, who have been asked to come on and debate these issues, and they say, absolutely not. They will not come on to uh, fight in this fight. And 
which I think is very interesting because I think that the homosexuals are on the, the very front row of this uh, spiritual war that we're in as Christians, and it's very interesting that a lot of these so-called Christian leaders will have no part of this battle and will not come on and defend the faith against the homosexuals who do defend their faith, of course, very militantly. You apparently had a run-in on the sidewalk with some of these uh, women. Uh, <laughs> or whatever they were, yeah. <laughs> well, describe them and what happened. <clears throat> well, I, I said coming over here tonight that we didn't want to have our first uh, X-rated easy chair tape <laughs> with uh, too explicit a description because they're quite vulgar and vile people and they do a lot of things down in the audience while you're up on the stage uh, speaking. And... Uh, after it was over, I went outside and there was a uh, a person, I guess is a fairly safe description, in a black leather jacket and nose rings and a mohawk hairdo, your typical San Francisco citizen, tattoos, uh, and really wanted to tell me that uh, it was true that the Bible says that a, uh, that a man shall not uh, lay with a man and a woman with a woman. But this person said, uh, but right after that it says that whoever judges them is as bad as they are. And I had my uh, scripture inside my coat pocket, and I just pulled it out to say one of two things. I was either going to open it up to that Leviticus passage and, sh and show the uh, the uh, the thing that I was talking to, uh, that it was not there, or, or I was going to have more fun and hand that person the Bible and say, well, where is that? Show me. And the minute I pulled the Bible out, uh, this person said, oh, God, he's got a Bible. And, and just the person ran down the sidewalk. I thought at first it was a uh, shtick, you know, that it was, oh, I'm, you know, a Bible I'm really afraid of. No, but they just they just kept going. They, they never uh, uh, came back. And I thought about the scriptural passage about if you resist Satan, he flees. <laughs> so uh, it was as if I pulled out a 357 Magnum or something, you know, duck, he's got a Bible. <laughs> and... And just took off. So uh, obviously the person knew that. It's like a crucifix with Dracula. Have you ever tried that before? <laughs> no, but I'm certainly open to the suggestion. Uh, yeah, that that's a good. Uh, that's exactly what it was like. This was Dracula's girlfriend, apparently. Well, if it is, I should send Dracula a sympathy card immediately because <laughs> this was one uh, raunchy-looking whatever it was. Yeah, and another. Uh, well, anyway. Yes, that's the extent of, uh, I think, of all I want to describe what happened. It was another uh, person who got a little grosser. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, well, did you enjoy your stay in Sodom by the Sea? No. Uh, I mean, I like to get out, and I like to preach, and I like to the combat... <clears throat> But it really does take its toll. It really, uh, it really knots up your stomach. It really. I, I'm. I was sincere when I said earlier that it is really good to be able to go to a, a show like that and then <clears throat> to come here uh, with Christians, and that, that's the way it's worked several times in the past. Is that I've gotten these shows and then you've allowed me to come out here, and it's it's really. Uh, it's really refreshing because you're really on edge after doing this combat. I mean, that is a very evil city, and if you just looked out at that audience, it was just, uh, for the most part, people that were enthusiastically on the pro-lesbian, pro-death side. There were very few Christians, very few people applauding 
any uh, scripture. How about your appearance in Secaucus, New Jersey? What was the subject there? Well, what was, was the audience and the... It was another show about a week, a week and a half earlier, a cable show at Channel 9, WWOR in Secaucus, New Jersey, and the subject was women in combat, whether or not it was a good idea now to have women in combat. And it was, there were three men against, uh, three men and a, and a woman against, including myself, and, and three women that were for it. And once again, the audience was... Uh, Looked like it was something out of the uh, bar scene in Star Wars, you know. I mean, all kinds of very alien creatures, and uh, I mean, they're just crazy. They're they're just they're not subject to any kind of uh, rational arguments about uh, anything. Who was whose show was that in New Jersey? The Richard Bay Show, B E Y. He's on cable. He goes to some cities uh, that have cable. But he is not nationally syndicated in as many places as Jerry Springer. But it's a to the, is the audience, uh, I recall when I was in New York a long time ago, 30 years or so ago, that uh, certain people used to receive free tickets to particular shows in the mail, or they'd be called up and given a block and whatnot. Generally, there was an effort to cue the audience into the type of show. So these shows that you went to, you could tell the minute you walk in, they're crazy shows because the audience is crazy looking. Yes. Do they still do that? Yeah, I think these shows have uh, something at the end about if you want to come where you can get tickets so they know how to come. But uh, you almost have to assume that anybody that's at an 11 a.m. taping on a weekday is, you know, they're cutting school or they've just escaped prison or or they don't have jobs. So it's uh, very motley. uh, Right crew out there, and they're just there to, it's like the old Morton Downey show, you know, they're just there to cheer one side or boo, or, uh, it, it really is a zoo. Maybe I've been unfair to the animals there, zoo, zoo-like, Secaucus, New Jersey. It, it matter of fact, it was in the old studio of the Morton Downey show. You mentioned that even the uh, man putting on the show, Bay, got uh, a bit disturbed by the audience. Well, he was about as disturbed as the audience. He just frequently <laughs> screamed and his neck bulged, and uh, he told people to shut up. And uh, even on the break, one of the producers was screaming at somebody to shut up. And uh, it's it was very uh, wild. <laughs> uh, it reflects the disintegrating culture around us. Yeah, well, when you looked at that audience, even before anybody made a sound, you, it just was, uh, I mean, it said it everything to just look out across and see the uh, tattooed women and the uh, nose rings and the uh, hats on backwards and uh, <laughs> it's <a> grim crew. <laughs> What's the market for, for these all these talk shows? Is it just a voyeuristic thing to watch all kinds of weird people scream at each other? That, that's a good question. I, I'm not exactly sure how big a... I mean, there's obviously an increasing number of them, and I'm, I'm not sure how big a share they actually draw. I mean, it's, it's clear that the ones that you continue to see are obviously staying on the air. But, uh, yeah, if you just uh, look at the titles, you can see uh, Sally Jesse Raphael, whose show... Uh, <laughs> I don't think I ever told you about this when it was embarrassing, uh, as if the others weren't, but... Uh, 
they had a show about uh, disgusting people with disgusting jobs, and uh, and then they wanted someone to come on and be outraged by the disgusting people, and that was my role. And there was uh, one woman, a, a black uh, woman, lady, uh, and her and she posed for gag postcards, <laughs> and. At one point in the show, she just ran up and tried to kiss me. It was horrifying. <laughs> and it was just a freak show. You say, well, what is the purpose of this show? Uh, Raphael recently had people, this is a true title, people who suck blood for sexual pleasure. People who actually slit a vein or bite a neck and actually suck the blood of another person. For sexual, that was the whole hour was devoted to that, with the people on the stage that were both the you know the person with the blood and 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 these people are like seriously interviewed. Why do you do this? And what, you know how, what does this feel? You, do your parents know? And well, I guess they do now. They're probably seeing me. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just a freak show, uh, sideshow like the carnival. You know, you used to walk by and see the snake woman or see the lobster man. Uh, uh, how do they react to your preaching? <clears throat> well, there's always a hardcore tiny bunch uh, that the Christians are the cowards. The anti-Christians come to the microphone. They'll say you're a narrow-minded bigot, a hater, that you're you're what's wrong with the world. The, the Christians, if indeed they are, are the ones who will come up after the taping and squeeze your hand or give you a peck on the cheek, or give you a little note that says, God bless you, keep it up. And a couple of times I've, I've grabbed their arm and said, hey, why didn't you go to the microphone and say this? You don't have to make a speech. Just say, I'm a Christian, I agree. <clears throat> but this you know, reminded me of that joke you used to tell, which really wasn't funny, about the two Christians followed by the two toughs, and how oh, yeah. one of the Christians, that you know, they gained, that the bad guys gained on them, and one said to the other, what was wrong? This is basically it, I think. He said, well, there's, talking about the toughs, there's two of them, but we're alone. <laughs> mm -hmm. I thought, there is, but this is uniform, the cowardice of the Christian in the audience, to say anything, they don't do it. Another story, <clears throat> which... Uh, had some basis in fact uh, I told it for a long long time as an apocryphal story and then learned uh, otherwise <laughs> in a particular case about the two uh, Christians who were uh, very evangelical very much given to saving souls and they saw a hoodlum on the street beating up on a helpless person. And uh, they refused to intervene. She was screaming for help. Because they said to one another, that man needs to be witnessed to. How can we witness to him if we offend him by going to protect the old woman? Now, I think that story tells us more than we need to know about the cowardice of 
so-called Christians today? Well, there's two things. <clears throat> there's the cowardice that I alluded to, the silence. And then there are the people in the audience that will say, well, I'm a lesbian and I'm a Christian. And I just want you to know that this man does not, I mean, to speak for Christians or Christianity. Uh, you're, you, most often on these programs, the role of the Christian is to, uh, you know, disassociate themselves from the Scripture. You, mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've said before that a lot of these so-called Christians, if they organized honestly under a name, they would call themselves Christians Against Christianity. Because their role seems to be at key points to stand up and say, "Well, I'm one, and he's wrong," and to you know put the knife in you, uh, and, I, and to confuse people, muddy the water. They almost always manage to get a minister. Oh, on ideally, the other side. yes, almost always. And the colors even better yes, when someone yes. can. How do you respond to those people? Well, these TV shows are amateur fighting matches. It's three rounds, uh, put the white thing on the other guy's face, you know, there's no <laughs> punches and bunches from bell to bell. So there's no time for exegesis or <laughs> elaborate argument. I do think before the show about short scriptures uh, in exchange. These are firefights. They're not real talk shows. That's they're a not, misnomer. Not real debates. No, they're knockdown, drag out. Cartoon debates. Yes. Yes. I, I defend... Uh, going on the shows uh, on the basis of the idea or, or the scripture that God's word never returns to him void and that if you can have uh, in the course of an hour and, and they will allow you this if you're in the minority as I always am they will allow you three or four you know good exchanges where you can talk and they'll tell the other people to be quiet and if you can get in some scripture or some preaching then I think it's worth uh, going on uh, the program and one of the gratifying things to me over the years <clears throat> has been to have people call me in one case it was an older couple that was in tears it said that they had never seen a person on television who said they were Christians oh they were moved they, the guy was almost crying that they could not believe that someone prefaced his answer by saying well I'm a Bible believing Christian and I think you know that homosexuality is a sin they just never heard it never said and they were greatly uh, I don't know, emboldened or lifted up by this. Now, sometimes you get trapped. I was on a Donahue show where the guy, where they called me and said, uh, "Do you mind a little nudity?" And I said, "Well, no, I'm occasionally what? nude myself, you what know, is in the a shower." Nudity? Huh? What yeah. is a little? Yeah, nudity? It's, well, that's what I said. That was my next question. What's a little nudity? He said, "Well, there'll be one segment where all these people will be naked on the stage. They're performance artists, and they're downtown in a window, and they, uh, you know, roll around on a couch, and that's art." And I said, uh, okay, well, yeah, I'm not a prude. I mean, uh, of course, I went up there, and uh, they were on the stage the whole time, totally naked. Uh, now, as it turns out, one of the uh, elders in my church happened to see part of that show. He was in an emergency room at a hospital taking someone there, and he looked up on the monitor, and there I was amidst all these naked people. Well, I'm like the master of ceremonies. Well, he just got a little, uh, it was out of context, is what I said later to him. Now, this was a show where I wore a, mo uh, a baseball hat with a moose hat, and I had a, 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 a T-shirt with a happy face with a bullet hole in its head, and I had yellow rubber gloves on. <clears throat> so you were when I posing as a brain surgeon? I told Donahue that I, I was a Christian performance artist. Uh. <laughs> the idea was to mock the show, sure, uh, you know, answer the fool according to his father. Anyway, when I came out, Donahue just gave me the mic. 
to say my piece. Uh, the funny thing was, by the way, I didn't tell my wife that I wore any of that stuff. I took it up there, and, and then I, when I told her <laughs> watch the show, it was like, oh, no, I don't. But anyway, <laughs> he said, uh, I said, you know, uh, the happy face with the bullet hole in it represents the death of sappy optimism, the idea that our country could endure once severed from its Christian roots. The yellow rubber gloves I wear because I'm a homophobe. You know, I fear these people. They can kill you. And Donahue t came over next to me, and he said, The hat, John. What about the hat? I said, I just like the hat. <laughs> <laughs> and they laughed. And uh, <clears throat> But that is a show, in retrospect, that I think uh, it's arguable that it was not proper for a Christian to be honored. I certainly know that the elder of my church... Well, I think it was worthwhile for what you said to the naked black gay who is seated next to you. Can you How about give you us... You want to uh, say that? You want to say that? All right. What happened was that... Uh, John... Looked, I want to hear this explanation. John looked down at the man's crotch and said, Well... It certainly is not true what they say about you fellows. And he bridled and said, What do you mean? What do you mean? And John said, You know full well what I mean. And if I were so poorly endowed, I wouldn't appear naked in public. <laughs> the men in the control booth just about fell out of their chairs laughing. Yeah, it was... Uh uh, this, this exhibit of the people rolling around on the couch was called, the title of it was Love Spit Love. I know already, I can tell my honest face, you'd that, like to have a movie of this that, exhibit. That baffles me. I, I know, I, I never figured it out either. But, but in any event, the couple that put it on, the man and the woman, uh, of course, denounced me as just the focus of all evil in the universe and full of hate and everything. And like uh, four weeks later, the New York Post, page six, their gossip page, had an item where this woman had been knocked down the stairs by this man and chased with a butcher knife by him, and he had been put in jail. So I thought this was the love couple that had denounced me as full of hate that this guy later, you know, one I month later, tried to kill, kill his wife. This is the unconditional love person that tried to kill his wife. But, but I think... Uh, it was really funny at church because the elder could not really just, uh, maybe this is typical with elders, he could not just come and say, look, I saw you on a moose hat, yellow rubber gloves, and a goofy with a bunch of naked people. What's the deal? It was just like, could I talk to you about a show that uh, my family and I, we just glanced up and, you know, and I, he, he couldn't just, uh, because, because I think, I think it, it was questionable, but I sort of got sandbagged uh, once you're up there and, and then they were, like you said, a little nudity turned out to be all that they could do. It was a whole hour. Where where did they go next? What's the next station on this ra railroad? Well, uh, there's not too many other places to go other than uh, maybe doing a live surgery on stage or uh, seriously mutilating. I thought mutilating. Explicit, explicit sex. Yes. Is the is the final destination? You know, maybe under the time soap operas. <laughs> no, I don't. No. They will get it first. I suspect <clears throat> the way they're going. Well, of well, course, in the movies, or even uh, even on the uh, television, 
They cannot tell you that people are having an affair or that they're married without showing them rolling around in bed. Mm -hmm. They don't believe you would understand the relationship otherwise. <laughs> I think the two things you do, John, that are especially telling are these. First, you hit them with Bible verses. You don't say, I think, so-and-so, you say, in effect, thus You better do it early, too, because they're going to shout you down and talk over you. The minute they realize you're the Christian, then they all just pile on you. And the second, you treat them as a big joke, as something ridiculous and to be laughed at. And they are demanding to be taken with the ultimate seriousness. That's right. They have no sense of humor. No this. sense of humor. And they can't take ridicule or lampoon. You uh, know, right after that Donahue show, or after it had aired, I went down to Orlando, Florida, my hometown, for, uh, I think I was speaking, well, Dr. McIntyre's in Naples, and then I drove up to Orlando. And some of my friends I was going to meet with there, and they had rented a, a little room at one of the swanky clubs there in Orlando. And uh, we were sitting in this private room, and there were four of my friends there, none of whom seen this Donahue show. And the waitress came in, and she gave each one of us a menu, and she went, you're you're the guy with the moose hat on the Oprah Winfrey show. And the guys, all of who I went to high school with, who know that, <laughs> you know, maybe not both oars are in the water all the time, just like, what is this woman talking about? And I got very indignant in a mock way and said, <clears throat> Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm having a business meeting here with my associates. What you say is absolutely untrue. It was Donahue. <laughs> and she's like, oh, thank God I was right, because she thought, oh, this guy complains. It's not him. I'm fired. So that, is a, that is a vicious lie. It was Donahue. <laughs> and, then, and then the other day when I went to this uh, Christian radio station where uh, uh, Larry Kubin and I have this uh, radio nice. show we're trying out uh, in, on WDCT outside Washington, for a couple hours every Sunday. Uh, there was a pastor in there taping his show. And he said, uh, he looked at me and he said, are you the guy that was in the moose hat on W? <laughs> so, and, and matter of fact, I, they used a little clip of that show uh, on the 25-year highlight package of Donahue. So I told my wife, boy, you had to really be nutty to get in the 25-year highlight package. You had to do something very wild. You might tell a little bit about the radio show that you just started and who Larry Kubin, your yeah. partner, is. He's another one of our Calcedon. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, going to uh, mail you all tapes and uh, hope at some point to uh, try to offer them for sale. We've done two shows. It's 2 to 4 o'clock. Larry Kubin, uh, K-U-B-I-N is the way you spell his last name, he's uh, someone that's very interested in Cal Seton's work and uh, your books and, and the writings of all of us, and he's on the uh, report list. He's a former uh, Washington Redskin and uh, All-American, Penn State All-American, and uh, I guess he's in his, uh, yikes, i got to guess his age here, I don't know, late 20s, early 30s. And uh, we have two, this two-hour show, and it's called Onward Christian Soldiers, and that's our theme song. And uh, it's a talk show, and uh, I do most of the talking. And Larry is like the number two guy and gives me questions, and we take things out that are in the news and try to apply the Bible. We also take uh, telephone calls. So we've done it two weeks, and uh, we just have uh, 
our own ads in the show. We have a couple of ads per hour for my newsletter and a couple of ads for the show asking for money. And uh, we've got money for about, I don't know, maybe six weeks worth more shows. And It's $100 an hour. <coughs> $100 an hour, and it's in uh, Fairfax uh, County, Virginia, which is, uh, I believe, the wealthiest county in uh United States. The point is that I want to take a little bit of what we do here at the report, put it on the radio, run the flag all the way up the pole, and see if anybody's there. What, yeah. By the way, from the first week, no yeah. one is there. <laughs> uh, that is, no one. Uh, no one at the mailbox. Money. That's right, right. Well, that means no letter well, bombs. I'll tell too. you, uh, if somebody sent you a hundred for an hour or two hundred yes. for two hours, would you give their name as the sponsor? Well, the, what I say is that uh, if they'd like to be mentioned, fine. But some people. Uh, one person is given, and you'd know his name if I said it, but he said that he didn't want to be mentioned, and he thought it was better if the show was not uh, sponsored because then people will say, well, he said this because you got this group's money and stuff. So uh, if anybody wants to be mentioned, uh, fine, they would be mentioned. And what time does it come up? It's 2 to 4 uh, p.m. on Sunday. Well, that's a good time. Mm-hmm. And it's live, and, uh, you know, we're going to see what happens. Well, tell me, what's the? You, you're not following politics anymore, are you? Because sure, a little bit, but not not as intensely as you used to. No, not not back, not as intensely as when it was my religion. That's right. Do you? Uh, <coughs> your sources still get in touch with you? Not much. Not much. Not much. Of course, living so close to Washington, you can't really avoid it. Uh, politics, I mean. Tom, tell us about some of the uh, conversations with call-ins that you've had on the radio uh, talk show. Well, we've had, to date, two shows, two Sundays, and uh, the opening show just was sort of a scene-setter where uh, I talked about why this show and how it is we thought we were different because we would be Christians who actually defended Christianity rather than running away from the faith, and unlike a lot of talk shows on Christian stations that say, well, I'm not a theologian. I, you know, We don't use this as a pulpit. Uh, we don't really tell anybody anything. We just give them facts and they can go decide themselves. We are a, a ministry. We are a pulpit. And we are theologians. And besides, everybody's a theologian. You're either a bad one or a good one. There's nobody who's not a theologian. Uh, the second show, I said, well, I'll try an interview format. And I had a lady on there named Barbara Handman, H-A-N-D-M-A-N, from New York City. She's the director of the People for the American Way office up there, which is the left-wing, liberal, anti-Christian group founded by Norman Lear, the TV guy, producer. I had, uh, I had seen her on the CBS Evening News speaking out very forcefully against all the Christians in New York who are evidently really got some clout in these local school districts because nobody turns out to vote. So if you get 3% out, you're like a majority. Well, PAW, People for the American Way, is very panicky over this. Uh, so they're sounding the alarm. And I saw a little snippet of her on the nightly news, CBS, saying, well, these people just want a theocracy and want to you know, get their way with the uh, political establishment and run the government. So I brought her on the show and I said, uh, you know, I want to ask you about this statement. And then I read the statement. And I said, the second part is, you know, unremarkable. Everybody who's voting and trying to elect somebody is trying to change to their point of view. So that's not what I wanted to ask you about. But I did want to ask you about this theocracy. What is wrong with godly rule? That's what it means. Uh, 
well, you know, we have the Constitution and the separation and all this uh, of religion. You can't have an establishment of religion. I said, but is it your impression that God is a religion? He is God. God is not a religion. I said, are, are you a Christian? She said, no, I'm Jewish. I said, are you a religious Jew? No, I'm not. I'm, uh, I said, are you a secular Jewish person? She said, yes. And I said, well, what, what makes you think you're Jewish if you're secular? Uh, well, she wasn't sure, but she knew that she felt very deeply about things Jewish, she said, uh, about the Jewish people over the centuries, and that she was very concerned about anti-Semitism. And I said, well, but if there's no God, well, who cares about anti-Semitism or anti-Gentilism or anti-any human anything? What's a human? Who cares? What does it matter? I said, I assume you're also an evolutionist. She said, yes. I said, well, then Jews are, and Gentiles are just accidental piles of atoms and molecules. What, what is your concern? This is silly. Well, she agreed that... Well, she said, first of all, I, I, I didn't say I didn't believe in God. I said, but you said you were a secular Jewish person. Well, yes, I am. I said, well, who is this God you believe in? Well, I can't exactly explain explain it, she said. It's, it's a higher something. And she said, it's, I admit it's a very fuzzy concept. It's very difficult to explain things from my viewpoint. And I said to her, well, in fact, it's impossible. It's not just very difficult. It's impossible. So and what, and then the show switched. See, this is the kind of show I want to be, that the show switched. What she was really saying is not that she had any belief of her own, but that she's against the beliefs of other people. Yes. <clears throat> I think that's a very good a way of putting it. I mean, her organization, People for the American Way, it's people against the American Way. It's people against the beliefs well, of the majority of Americans. Well, at one point she talked about, she was very worried about some minority taking over. I said, well, excuse me, but Christian, Christians are not uh, 12 guys down in the catacombs. They're 80, 85, or 90 percent, according to polls. Now, we you know, can have another yeah, show about sure. whether you tell George Gallup you're a Christian makes you one, but the point is they are the overwhelming majority of the country. And uh, But she got very upset when you talked about uh, her not believing in God. And then, and then basically the whole show, and, and this is what I want the show to be, did not continue on, a, on the political thing. And, and you know, once it got kind of dicey with her and her belief, that we abandoned it like most people do because it's sensitive, you don't want to offend her. Then she was engaged on the God issue. Then we talked to her. Then I talked to her about being Jewish and caring about the Jewish people, that the Lord was Jewish and the apostles. And have you ever looked at the Old Testament prophecies? Have you ever read the New Testament? Are you in the least curious? You have to admit it's an important question whether or not what Jesus said was true or not. Yes, I do, she said. I think it is very important. But you've never examined any of the prophecies and whether or not he fulfilled them? Well, no, I haven't. I mean, this went on and on. And then a woman called in that had three or four tremendous scriptures about believing in the Lord. So we were like witnessing. The, and, and this lady stayed on for the whole hour. This was on Mother's Day, too. We roughed her up pretty good on Mother's Day. But. Well, she occupies in the first place six positions at once. She wants to be part of the community, but against the community. She wants to be Jewish, but not Jewish. Exactly. She wants to be... Uh, express a belief but has no belief she wants to believe in God but deny that you should and if we were living in a more rational society we would lock her up 
Uh, that's well put, Otto, because insanity in politics and religion is a governing element in our time. A radical irrationality. If these people talked as irrationally in other spheres as they do when they are confronted with the faith, they would be put away. There is something about uh, religion, especially Christianity, in my opinion, the towering intellectual structure of Christianity is beyond the grasp of a great many people. They simplify it. I think in varieties of religious experience that the author talks about the projection of God for most people being a projection of their own dimension. I mean, God, you can only visualize so much. God, of course, is beyond our powers to visualize. But I sometimes think nobody should be allowed to read Revelation because I keep running into individuals who go crazy after having read it. <laughs> David Koresh you comes to mind just that, as that, a current example. Yes, and, and this is very strong medicine. And for somebody like the woman you described to plunge into it takes an enormous amount of arrogance to straighten out other people's thinking. To take a, a 2,000-year-old faith and say, you shouldn't bring this into the public dialogue. It's almost on the same level of idiocy as the Supreme Court of the United States, which ruled a four-line nursery poem to be a religion. <coughs> Well, I, I, uh, I have spoken here uh, to all of you uh, off microphone about a, a, another thing that I've been doing recently, and I, which is preaching on my Citizens Band radio, short, short scriptures. And, and one of the things you hear over and over when you come on the radio with the scriptures, hey, buddy, this isn't Sunday. This isn't church. See, the idea is that, see, God's a one-day-a-week God. He's a little tiny God. He's allowed in a building one day a week for one hour. But we don't want to see God out here running around the rest of the day, see. So I tell him, you know, J.B. Phillips, your God's too small, friend. God's the God of every day, every week, every year. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Your God's too small. And oh, by the way, he doesn't exist other than between your ears. See, but there's this popular notion of Gee, is it Sunday already when they hear you preaching? It's just a Sunday thing, see. I, you know, if I wanted to go to church, uh, I'd go there. I don't need to hear this. I'd say, well, the church is coming to you. God's bringing it to you. How do you like them apples, you know? Very interesting, the popular conceptions nowadays of what God is. He's a religion. For Mrs. Hanman, he's a religion. He's just a religion, and you can't impose a religion, so that's... Did she come down from New York just to talk? No, no, we did it on the phone. Oh, we did, we did it on, it on the, the phone. phone. Yeah, and she was very nice. And uh, you, usually, uh, when you attempt to talk to, uh, or my own personal experience has been that when you attempt uh, overtly, as it obviously was, to witness, as they say, to a uh, secular Jewish person, uh, it's usually a uh, very short conversation. Well, I wonder how she would react if uh, you called up an Orthodox Jew and began to argue with him about his faith. I think she would be very upset if she thought that I was attempting, as they say, to uh, impose my view on him. But to question his views. 
You well, know, I don't think I have ever heard anybody question Judaism. And yet Christianity is questioned in this country around the clock. Well, you know, I once wrote about this obliquely uh, in the report when I did an interview with Paul Johnson, the uh, British what historian, and, and he wrote a history of uh, Christianity and a history of... Uh, of the Jews. Of the Jews, that's right. I was going to say Judaism. And what I asked him on the show, he's a, Rome, he's a Roman Catholic, and what I asked him on the show was, uh, you have a lot in your books, both books, about so-called Christian anti-Semitism, but what about Jewish anti-Christianism? Already the head was shaking like, uh-uh, I, I, this is a non-starter. That's a forbidden territory. Yeah, he, he, he was already shifting in his chair, and I had that line out of his own book about the Talmud uh, that had the allusion to Christ. Uh, of course, they don't have his name because to, to them he's so vile that his name will not even pass their lips, but that everybody knows who you're talking about, about how he was uh, boiling in excrement eternally. I said, that sounds vaguely anti-Christian to me. Uh, well, Johnson said that the most important thing between ourselves and people of the Jewish faith is that we believe in God and that the question of whether or not Christ was who he said he was is of lesser importance. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh my. Now, I never went to college, oh my. you know, but, yes, this... I mean, that was a spear the <laughs> at the center of the faith. <coughs> yeah. In other words, the, the, the question that Jesus himself said is the most important question, who do they say I am, is the lesser question. The point is, and we hear this often about Islam, too. Well, look, we all believe in God. They call it Allah. We, you know, so what's why fight? So we got this sideshow about who Jesus was. That's well, a sideshow. Yeah, we call it Johnson. They might uh, as well call it Krishna. Krishna. Yeah, it's Krishna. Yes. the Hindu God. Yes. Well, if Islam continues to glow, uh, grow in America, I'm sure that 50, 100 years from now, people will be alluding to the Judeo-Christian Islamic tradition of America. Right? Got to be. Well, Paul Johnson and his history of Christianity. Uh, saw true Christianity in every heretic over the centuries. It was a masterwork of heresy <coughs> because uh, orthodoxy to him was the problem. And yet amazingly, he considers himself a good, devout Catholic. And in a recent issue of Spectator, he obviously is looking forward to the Church of England collapsing and uh, Rome picking up the pieces. So uh, he is a very brilliant scholar, but uh, he can be more resolutely wrong-headed than almost anyone. Uh, well, his history of the Jews was interesting. It was a a very flattering book. Yes. They never committed a massacre. They never committed crimes which is really unusual for a historian to say, who wasn't Jewish. Uh, he, he seemed to believe, if I can recall it now, that, well, at any rate, he did his best for them. And 
he was trying to reconcile a mainly non-Jewish audience, but also to please a Jewish audience, because he knew they would read it. This was a book that was bound to make a great many sales. It was a very, very smart move on his part. But to his astonishment, they beat him over the head with clubs, they kicked him, struck him with knives, they went all out. First of all, they were outraged that he dared being a Gentile, to write a history of the Jews. Oh, okay. He was not qualified. And then they went through all the different languages that the Jews have picked up through the years of Europe, languages of the Middle East, and so forth. And the fact, and it is true, that like the Catholics, their sects, or their divisions, or what do you call them, their branches, orders, branches. Their orders and whatnot, have certain local flavorings. There's a difference between Hungarian Jews, for instance, and Greek Jews, and so forth, like there is in the Catholic Church between the Irish Catholic and so forth. So they had a high old time talking about his ignorance. Mm -hmm. and, his, and, of course, overall, they were insulted. Who is the conservative Jewish scholar that's down at the University of South Florida now? You know, the uh, seventh Neusner, Neusner, yeah. very able. Well, he wrote that review of Johnson's book. Jacob Neusner yeah. wrote the review of Johnson's book. Was, I think it was a National Review, maybe. Maybe not. But it tore him to pieces. He just said that he was a bootlicker of Israel. That it was just a, his whole book was a, an apologia for the state of Israel. That it was designed to please Zionists. It was a masterful well, hatchet job uh, on, on the book. Neusner. Neusner is yes. very interesting. He is. Yes. But yes, Johnson is a much. brilliant man. He's an Erasmian, that's what he is. He doesn't want to fight. He wants to dodge everything. I don't know what he is, but uh, <coughs> his book on uh, modern times was brilliant. Sure, that's Paul On Johnson. modern intellectuals yeah. Yeah. was uh, excellent, outstanding. But when he enters into the field of religion... Uh, he is a devout Catholic who doesn't like a single thing that the church stands for. Well, I think the problem that you're describing is that he's really a political and social historian, but he didn't take the time to study theology before he wrote the history of Christianity or Judaism. And how can you do that if you're not theologically learned? Yes. Well, I think there's certain Christians that are just on this anti-Semitism charge. They're just on all fours. I mean, they're just, they're on the defensive. They're well, crawling. They're well, not. there's no reason to collapse. Uh, oh, no. These are just people like anyone else, and they have more arguments than we have. Well, I, I, by the way, one, one of the other things I asked Johnson about was there had uh, tried to get him to say something about Jewish anti-Christianism was although this thing involved Mormonism, was the, the Mormons had tried to build some kind of center there in, in Israel, and the Israeli government made them, said they had to sign a pledge to not proselytize if they built the center, and, they, and the Mormons signed it. Well, proselytizing to them, I think, goes pretty far. If you tell people who you are, that's proselytizing. That's coming about here in the United States. If you say that you're a Christian Absolutely. and you're engaged in a public issue dialogue, you're immediately accused of pushing your uh, Christian views down somebody else's throat to even announce that you are. But the, the, the kicker was that when I asked him about that, and uh, you know, because he, he had talked about 
the, the religious liberty in Israel. In, in the interview, I don't know if he talked about it in the book. Where is it? I said, well, what about this Mormon thing? And, and he said, well, you know, Israel is under attack from a variety of enemies in that area. And I said, Mormonism? I mean, I, I heard about the PLO, but the Mormons? Right. He, even he had to kind of chuckle at that. But he, was, he had an agent with him, a literary agent, who set up these shows. And boy, once this... Line of questioning. He kept looking at this guy you like, "Where am I? Why am I on this show?" I remember that tape you sent us on that dialogue. It was really funny. Well, you should have uh, seen his face. It was about to explode with he, rage. The thing that made him very angry was that John asked him what he believed. Mm -hmm. yes. And who are you to ask me? There was also an and arrogant. He kind was of he was insulted to be asked, which reminds me of a dialogue between Malcolm Muggeridge and. Uh, and William F. Buckley. Buckley said, after all, you can't bring up your faith at a dinner table. Muggeridge said, I don't have any problem with that at all. You remember Buckley's worry? Buckley was worried that if he uh, brought it up that he would become known as a Christer. I, I had never heard that's the That's a term. phrase from the last generation. Yeah. And I thought, no, they don't. They haven't used that, that phrase since my grandfather, since my father was a young a man. Christer. I've only heard it once in the last 50 years. Well, I thought, considering some of the other things that I've heard Buckley called, that would be a, a, an improvement, would it? I mean, is that bad yeah, for a Christian to be called a Christer? Buckley thought that would be horrible. Well, Buckley seems to be, what would you say, socially insecure? I think that's maybe the euphemism I mean, of the century. People, people that don't like me, I really don't give a damn about. <laughs> Well, I'm not going to argue with you. I agree. I wasn't looking. That's at certainly you. been my experience. <laughs> I was hoping I wouldn't have to look at you. But I do give a damn about you, Otto. Now, Christer, what a horrible thing for a Christian. Again, Christians against Christianity, afraid to talk about it. Well, at the dinner parties Buckley goes to, I'm sure uh, you'd probably uh, start a fist fight if you. Uh, He's moved away from what he, where he started. Oh my! Long distance. Yes. He wasn't too hot when he started. Well, yeah. he was better. He was better, but... Uh, he was better. Let me ask you a question, John. Why do you think that Christians are not better prepared for combat in the public arena? I think because they're biblically illiterate, that boldness is in part a function of knowledge, uh, and uh, the scripture tells us about the spiritual war and the full armor of God, and when you have people that have zeal but no knowledge, it is a deadly combination. They have They have no... They have none of the armor of God on, yet they're charging onto the battlefield. And I've never been in the service, but it's my understanding that if you charge onto a battlefield unarmed, you tend to have a rather high casualty rate. Don't well, you, Otto? Well, what, what gets me is this confusion between the faith and niceness, mm -hmm. that you have to be nice. Well, in a battle, how about that? You have to be. You can't be nice in a on battle. the battlefield. You you, what do you, you smile for? You put serious. the sword through. Uh, yeah, it's a battle. The sword of truth. That's what the scripture is. How can you be loving when you're running a guy through with the sword of truth? Of course, we would say that is love. It is an act of love for me to tell this Jewish lady that Jesus is the Messiah. That well, if you don't believe in him, you will perish and go to hell. That is an act of love. Well, let's put it this way. If you do somebody else the <coughs> courtesy of telling them your sincere thoughts, mm. that's a great courtesy. I don't do it very often. I mean, I choose my company on that score. I, I'm not, uh, I haven't chosen your path that you've chosen. Sure, but I don't want to impose it on you. 
I know. And, uh, but if I choose to answer, I will answer seriously and I will answer honestly. But I don't bring up this subject with most people. If I do, I consider it a great courtesy. Mm -hmm. Well, I tell you, it's uh, straight talk of almost any kind today will get you in great trouble. And if you're a pastor in a church who just goes around and slaps everybody on the back and smiles and shakes hands today, you can get by with anything. And they are. If you're Mr. Happy Face, Mr. You know, hail fellow, well met. You can just steal the store. Well, it's a second-rate world, and second-rate people outnumber everyone else. So second-raters do better. Well, might not might that not be an answer why there isn't a great deal of courage out there? Is that uh, people's pastors or should be their role model as far as that was the second part of my answer. Not only uh, are probably most Christians biblically illiterate and don't know anything about the armor of God, but they're also encouraged to not use the armor of God to fight. Uh, a lot of so-called Christian leaders somehow have hit upon a better way to fight the spiritual war than God says, you know. I mean, I've written about that in the report, the advice by Chuck Colson and Gary Bauer and... Uh, uh, Tom Mennery at Focus on the Family, that you're not supposed to quote the Bible. Oh, no, don't quote the Bible. Put down that Bible. Don't swing that Bible. Don't use uh, Christian language. That turns people off. Use uh, uh, what Paul would call vain babbling. <laughs> use logic and syllogisms. And uh, as Gary Bauer said, you know, as the missionaries say, the best rule is speak the local language. Well, I think that's probably the worst rule when in Rome. What, do as the Romans? You know, if you're in a cannibal well, culture, you just sit down and eat human meat with them while you chat about uh, what? I mean, lifestyle evangelism, that's another thing that's come in, you know, that well, you've got to first get someone to like you first before you tell them about the Lord. Well, you're, you're <clears throat> in a sense, you're limiting this to the faith. But in the United States, it's been my opinion or my observation that Plain talk has been out of fashion for an awfully long time. Most Americans could not be blocked if you put a gun to their head because they've been trained from childhood not to offend, yes. not to start an argument, not to say this or that or use this term or that term. Politi politically correct terms have been the fashion in this country as long as I can remember it. So this is a slop over. If they can't speak honestly about the boss or to their wife mm -hmm. or on the job, how are they going to speak honestly about the faith? Anthropologists have for some years recognized that cultures all over the world can be uh, described in terms of two terms. There are either face cultures where the emphasis is entirely on appearance, or they are guilt cultures, uh, where the emphasis is not on appearance, but on morality, on right and wrong, mm. on a confrontation in mm -hmm. terms of that. Well, Japan has always been the classical example of a face culture, or if you lose face, you used to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. 
And what has happened is that the entire Western world and all other cultures have become face cultures where you don't uh, do anything as gauche or rude as to speak the truth. That is bad form. You're hurting people. So because we have become a face culture and all of Europe and uh, has joined Asia and Africa in a face culture, we have a world crisis because no one wants to be confronted with the truth. What, what, what's so interesting about this to me, it's, I mean, I, I agree totally with what you say, is that that verse in John 7:24, where our Lord says that we're to judge righteous judgment not on the basis of appearance. The face culture is the appearance-oriented yes. culture. So we have now become appearance, mm. superficial judgment, not on the... And, and there's even in the abstract, when truth is spoken, it's resented. But when the ultimate truth, when it is a Christian truth... That is the most outrageous thing because we have this view in the church. We have we have many unmanly men in the church. They're effeminate. I'm not talking about necessarily homosexual. I'm talking about sissified men in the pulpit, in the pew. There's this popular version of a sappy, happy-faced Jesus who went around slapping everybody on the back, saying, "I'm praying for you, brother. You know, I I'm a struggler like you," and that kind of a silly. So whenever anyone sees a person forcefully preaching the gospel, it's like, "Well, you're not Christian." Well, you know, that's not a Christian way. You're making people mad. I've heard people on the CD say, you shouldn't preach because you're aggravating people. Well, there's a sense in which Jesus was the greatest aggravator in the history of the world. Well, let's go back to the larger society. It isn't true, for instance, that uh, everybody, that all Europe has gone face. They're a lot more blunt in Europe than they are here. They're more blunt in England than they are here. This is the country that's gone the farthest in terms of face. And it's excused here on the uh, question of multiculturalism and multiracialism. But both my grandfathers, who came from different social levels, one from the blue-collar level and one from an executive level, were born in 1860, and both of them were blunt enough to let your hair drop out. <laughs> they came right out, they hit you right between the eyes of what they had to say if it was an important statement. They didn't go out of their way to, to hurt people. But if the issue arose, and I, I experienced it from both of them as a boy, when they wanted to straighten me out, they straightened me out very quickly. I don't believe that the average man today can do that. I don't believe that he has the, the vocabulary to express himself. Well, I told Rush earlier that... Uh, what once was said of economists that if you laid them all end to end they couldn't reach a conclusion can now be said of the clergy and people in churches who counsel. I, I hope none of you are ever really subjected to well, counseling sessions because they're just endless sessions that everyone starts over again. There's no record, well, there's no madness. Look at our trials, look at our court trials. At one time I had a set of famous English murder trials. And in those days when the English system of justice was very famous, uh, a trial lasted one day. One day. <laughs> one day? If, the re if a lawyer repeated the question, the magistrate would say, Mr. Smith, you asked that once before, it was answered, do not offend again. Hmm. Well, our time is up. Thank you all for listening, and thank you, John. Thank you.
authorized by the Calcedon Foundation, archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library, digitized by Christrules.com.